turn with me to the book of Psalms. Uh, I want you to turn with me to the 119th Psalm. Psalms chapter 119. That's where we'll begin this morning. Psalms 119. Let me, let me read it to you. The, I'm not going to read the whole Psalm. It's 176 verses. I'll just read the first three verses. And then we'll go to the Lord together in a word of prayer. Psalm 119, the first verse says, Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are they that keep his testimonies and that seek him with the whole heart. They also do no iniquity. They walk in his ways. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, we just humbly come before you this morning. Lord, we thank you for the good day and the many blessings. We thank you, Lord, for our church family. We thank you for the roof you put over our head. We thank you, Lord, for um, the nation that we live in, the freedom that we have to openly gather here this morning without fear of persecution. We thank you, Lord, for every breath that we draw. It's a gift from you. Lord, you've been so good to us. you poured so many blessings out on us, Lord. You've given each one of us the ability to be here this morning. That's a blessing. But, Lord, the greatest gift is the giving of your Son. And God, you sent him and gave him so that we might have life and have that life eternally and abundantly. But yet so many of us reject him. So many of us trample that gift under our feet. So many of us ignore it, take it for granted. Don't realize how precious it is. God, my prayer this morning is, as those that are sitting here under the sound of my voice would no longer do that, would never do that again. But we would always have praise and glory on our lips for you. Because you alone are worthy of it. We would always recognize how precious that gift is and treat it so. Lord, I pray as we go forward this morning in this service, Lord, that you would just continue to bless and have your way and your will. I pray that you'd bless the children in the children's church this morning. And I pray that you'd bless our services here this morning. God, that you would just continue to work on the hearts and minds of each one of us here this morning. Lord, that we would be open and we would receive your word this morning. God, that if our eyes hadn't been opened, today would be the day that you would open them. God, I pray that we would have uh, ears to hear what you would say by your spirit this morning. And I pray, Lord, that we would let your word just take a deep root in our hearts. And Lord, it begin to grow and transform us from the inside out into the image of your son. Lord, I, believe, I pray that if we're not already on a path of holiness, that we would begin the walk today, that we would strive to be holy as you're holy, perfect even as you are perfect. I pray, Lord, this morning that you would just move in a mighty way in our midst. Stir our hearts and minds. Help us to grow in love and grow in spirit, grow in number, grow closer together, and be more like you. So, Lord, I'm just asking, Lord, help me get out of the way so that you can be God of this service. Have your way and your will in our, in our service, in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives. And we'll get, be sure and give you the glory for it. Lord, if there's any among us that's lost and undone, and he's not sure where they stand, let today be the day, Lord, that they would get saved before it's everlasting too late. And, Lord, let me ask one more thing. I need your help. I can't preach without you, and I know that. So, Lord, I'm asking that you just fill me full of your Holy Spirit. God, that you would anoint me from on high. Lord, that you would just um, clear my mind of everything but your message, your thoughts, your words. Place on my tongue the very things that you'd have me to say this morning. And I'll be sure and give you all of the glory for it. Lord, we love you this morning. 
We worship you. We praise your holy name. We ask it all in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Amen. 119th Psalm. Um, you know, I confessed to you a few years ago that I'm not a Psalms type person, and so I, you know, that is not one of the books in the scriptures that I would naturally gravitate towards. And the Lord began to deal with me about that, so I've made a conscious effort ever since then to spend more time in the book of Psalms. The 119th Psalm is a psalm that stands out among all the other psalms. First of all, it's the longest chapter, not only in the book of Psalms, but it is the longest chapter in the entire Bible. It is 176 verses long. It is a, um, I just lost the word of what it's called, an uh, acrostic. Uh, it, is, it is divided into, uh, and this is in the Hebrew language, this is something that we don't see, really see in the English language unless your Bible happens to have in-text subject headings or some sort of footnotes that would point this out to you. But in the Hebrew language, if we, were, if, if we spoke and read Hebrew and was reading this in the Hebrew and the original language it was written in, it would jump right out to us. But it's divided into 22 sections. There's 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. Each section begins with uh, the with the letter of the Hebrew. The first one starting with the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and then it just consecutive, consecutively goes on. So, in other words, if this was something that was done in English, then be, the first one would be A, the second one would be B, C. You see what I'm saying? Except for it's the Hebrew alphabet, which I don't know. It's different than that. But, anyways, um, each one of those sections are eight verses long. Uh, there's a lot of interesting uh, things here uh, in, this, in, in this book, you know, or in this chapter. And so we've got 22 sections, right? One for each letter of the Hebrew alphabet, each one eight verses long. Uh, it also, eight, in every verse except for, I think, three or four, it mentions God's word, his law, his statutes, his precepts, right? Those are all um, synonyms for the same thing, talking about God's word, what he has spoken, what he has said, what he has commanded, right? That's a, that in some way, shape, or form is in almost every verse of these 176. I believe there's only three or four that does not contain that in some way, right? There's eight different words used for the word of God uh, here it contained in this chapter. That's why I mentioned one is obviously God's word, another one are his words, another one is precepts, right? Statutes is another one. The law, referring to the law of Moses, right? That's God's word. That's the first five books of the, of the Old Testament, right? It, it is in there, uh, you know, over and over and over again. If the Psalms, if all of the Psalms, all 150 of them, if they were like lakes, if they were like bodies of water, let me say it that way. If they were like bodies of water, Charles Spurgeon said then, uh, all the other psalms are anywhere from a puddle to a lake, but, the, but Psalms 119 is an ocean in the midst of them. This psalm is absolutely rich and full uh, of God's word, of course. This psalm is a blessing. That's what I meant by rich, is it's a blessing to anyone who will take the time to read through it and study it. May I suggest that you take the time to just slowly 
read through it, right? You know what that's like? That's kind of like whenever you take a bite of something that's really good and you just slowly chew it and, and savor it just a little bit. Let me encourage you to take the time at some point in the near future to do that with this song. I believe you'll find a special blessing in it. Just take it in and see what the Lord has for you. Just like the first psalm, right? If you were to go back to, to Psalm chapter 1, just like the first psalm, it starts with the word blessed, okay? And, and maybe that's something, that's an important part of this that uh, I need to share with you this morning, right? Uh, that should remind you, Jesus started his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 with that word blessed, right? Uh, so that's important. A lot of people just plug in the word happy, right? A lot of people, whenever you, whenever you say blessed, right, or, you know, they just automatically, they just translate it in their head, and they just plug in the word happy. There's even translations of the Bible and paraphrases of the Bible and such, commentaries on the Bible that will do that same thing. They'll just plug in <clears throat> that word happy. And blessed does mean happy or happiness, uh, uh, but it means it, it, happy alone does not do it justice. The blessed are happy and much more. When it talks about blessed, it describes a kind of happiness that comes from receiving um, divine favor. It is a spiritual joy, right? A spiritual satisfaction that lasts regardless of the conditions one finds themselves in. This is the same way whenever you apply this same thing to the Beatitudes. The example that I always use is look at Paul and Silas, right? <clears throat> in the book of Acts, whenever we see them in that Philippian jail, and we see them beaten and, and you know, on the slate, I'm sure, for execution the next morning, where it says they're in the most inner part of the prison, right? The stocks on their feet, right? They are the most miserable, sad condition with, you know, from a worldly standpoint, a physical standpoint, seems like no hope. But yet here they are at the midnight hour, they're singing, right? They're praising the Lord, and they're singing hymns and psalms and, and, and spiritual songs. How could they do that? Well, it's because they're blessed. Because they had a spiritual joy, right, that did not come from their immediate surroundings, right? It's a condition, it carries you through pain, sorrow, loss, and grief, right? Probably the best literal definition for it is spiritual prosperity, right? Which is happiness, but it's not the same kind of happiness that the world thinks of, and if we're not careful, that we'll think of also, right? We'll think about whatever your favorite food or your favorite dessert is, right? You say, well, if I, you know, I had a piece of chocolate cake or a bowl of ice cream or my favorite candy or whatever, it make me happy. No, it won't. Not this kind of happy. That at best is a temporary happiness that actually probably has some negative long-term effects. No, to, ble to be blessed doesn't simply mean to be happy. To be blessed means my soul is happy in the Lord. It's a spiritual happiness that nothing else can compare to. Things 
cannot bring spiritual happiness. People do not bring you spiritual happiness. That's where we get really confused on this whole blessed thing. We think that we can find the spiritual happiness that I'm trying to describe to you, this blessedness. We think that we can find it in a, set of, a certain set of circumstances, right? We think that we can find it in a person. We think that we can find it in money, in a job, in a career. If our life goes just however we think is perfect, right? Or we find who we think is the perfect person or the perfect set of circumstances come about. We think that we can find that happiness. Listen to me. You can't find it there. Only God can bring the spiritual happiness that I am talking about. Only God. That is the only place that it comes. And I'm going to let you in on a little secret that sometimes it takes some people a long time to figure out and some will follow and serve the Lord their whole life and never figure this out. This happens, this spiritual happiness that I'm talking about, this happens when we take in the Word of God. When we take in the Word of God into our hearts, into our minds, and into our lives. Completely committing every ounce of our being to Jesus Christ. That is the only way, the only place, right? It's one thing to read it. It's another thing to know it. But it is whole, a whole yet another thing whenever you absorb it and whenever you take in God's Word and you, it becomes a part of you and you take it completely wholly into your heart, into your mind, and into your life. And you begin to live it. And you commit every ounce of your being to Jesus Christ. Something interesting found in this psalm is there's, there's six places, six verses. I'll read them to you in this psalm where it mentions the phrase whole heart. Right? It'll have that phrase together, whole heart. I read one of them to you just a minute ago. Verse 2 says, Blessed are they that keep his testimonies and seek him with the whole heart. If you go down to verse 10, it says, With my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandment. If you go on farther to verse 34, it says, Give me understanding and I shall keep thy law. Yea, I shall observe it with my whole heart. Verse 58 says, I entreated thy favor with my whole heart. Be merciful unto me according to thy word. Verse 69 says, The proud have forged a lie against me, but I will keep thy precepts. There's another one of those words for the word of God. I will keep thy precepts with my whole heart. And finally, in the 145th verse, it says, I cried with my whole heart. Hear me, O Lord. I will keep thy statutes. If I was to, I could give you my whole sermon in one sentence. It might not even really be a complete sentence. It may be a sentence fragment. I don't know. But just a small phrase, a title to my message really is the whole message. 
My message to you today is seek God with your whole heart. That's, it's as simple as that. That's it. That's the message. Seek God with your whole heart. But what good does it do me to stand here before you and to say and to tell you to seek God with your whole heart without explaining what does that mean, right? What does that mean? And, and I'll, I probably should explain you know, all these terms, but especially the whole heart part. What, do, what is the meaning of that, right? Okay, well, let's just talk about this real quick, right? The meaning of, of a whole heart. What does it mean when the scriptures say to do something with your whole heart, right? Well, it means to hold nothing back, right? If you're going to do it with all of your heart, your whole heart, then you don't hold anything back, right? What does that mean? That means a total commitment, complete sellout, right? You have sold out. You're not holding any of it back, right? Remember whenever some of the disciples, right, come to Jesus wanting to follow him, but they said, wait a minute. I got to go back home and bury my folks, right? And and it wasn't saying, my mom and dad just died and I run out here to see you for a second, Jesus. Let me go back and literally put them in the ground and I'll catch up with you in a couple hours. That's not what that was saying. He was saying was, is I need to go back home and I got things I got to take care of first and then I'll come follow you. It's not sold out. That's not total commitment. I've always used the example of when Elijah come along and whenever he, uh, uh, whenever he chose, and, 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 and when I say chose, don't, I don't want you to think that Elijah literally made the choice and especially that he made it arbitrarily, but God chose Elisha to be Elijah's successor as the prophet of God. Do you remember that? Whenever he come along and he chose him, right? And he threw his cloak over him. Do you remember what Elisha was doing? Right? Elisha was plowing. He was out in the field, right? He was, he was the, um, uh, I guess, kind of like the straw boss, right? It was, it was his daddy's farm. It was dad's place. Uh, Elisha was back there. He had the last team of plowing the field. That means he was keeping an eye on the other old boys, the hired hands, uh, uh, as they were plowing, keeping them in line, along with taking care of his own oxen, his own plow, and what is it that uh, what is it that he does when Elijah calls him, or whenever God through Elijah calls him? He ta- back in those days they didn't have iron plows like we got today; they had wooden plows. He takes that wooden plow. He takes the oxen that's pulling the wooden plow, and he offers them as a sacrifice, and he busts up the plow so that he had wood to burn to offer the sacrifice on. That is a picture of total commitment, of sold out. He ain't going back. There ain't no more plow. There's not a plow handle to put his hand to any longer. We see the symbolism there. But I also see the practical side. I know exactly if I'd done that to my daddy's oxen and plow, I wouldn't have went back home either. That's what it means when it talks about the whole heart. It means to give our whole heart to God, to put God first. How often do we not do that, though? We put God way up there, but then we're like the, we're like the one disciples that said, let me go back home and take care of some things first, right? That's, you know, we're like, well, I got these other things I've got to take care of, too, or I've got to keep an eye on, or I've got to try to manage at the same time. No! That's not your whole heart. That's part of it. That's not enough. It's not your whole heart. 
means to put God first before anything, including ourselves. That even means our own health. And the Bible says that we're blessed when we do this. You will find a happiness that I've tried to describe to you just a minute ago that is beyond any kind of happiness this world might have to offer. Any other, any happiness that you might find any other place, any other way, by any other means. So let's look at the other word here real quick, meek. Or I mean not meek, seek. I'm sorry. Seek. The meaning, what does it mean to seek, right? Seek God with the whole heart. Well, it means, when we say the word seek, right, it means to look diligently and earnestly for something. That You're going to find that if you find those words if you look up the uh, dictionary definition of it. There are many places in the Bible where it tells us to seek the Lord and to seek His words, right? Psalms 63, 1 says, O God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. We probably are even more familiar with Isaiah 55, 6, where it says, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Right in the book of Matthew, chapter 6, verse 33, I heard, the, I heard the pastor of the church yesterday quote this whenever he said, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. We are blessed when we will seek God with our whole heart and keep his word. So, how do you do it, Right? I've laid out the terms and defined them, but what does that mean? How do we seek with a whole heart? Well, let me ask you kind of a series of questions here and answer them. First of all, seek what? What are we seeking, right? Well, we should be seeking God himself. The scripture, our text lays that out plainly to us, right? There is no peace until we find him. So the next question is where, right? Seek where? Well, the scripture literally tells us here in verse 2 in his testimonies, right? And his testimonies is one of those words I told you. There's eight of them in this chapter that's a synonym uh, for the scripture, for the word of God, literally meaning what God commands, what God says, what God uh, tells us to do, right? That's his testimonies, his precepts, his statutes, his word, right? Listen to me for just a second. Do not depend on some spiritual moment in your life um, to encounter God. Don't, don't lean on that. Don't rely on that. Maybe that's exactly what it is or what it was. Then again, maybe it was an emotion uh, or even worse yet, maybe it was some sort of demonic influence or something. Encounter God right here in His Word, in the Bible, first and foremost, right? Seek Him here. Uh, Indulge yourself, right? I'm trying to figure out the word here for pour yourself out into this, right? Pour over His Word. Seek Him here. If you can't have, if you cannot have an encounter with God in His Word, you will not have an encounter with Him, a spiritual encounter with Him anywhere else. If you walk with God, 
You will have encounters with God in the, nor- in the normal course of your life, right? No question, no doubt about that. But how do you know that these spiritual encounters you have are the real thing and not a counterfeit? You know because first you learned His voice here in His Word. You studied the real thing. That's why when the counterfeit comes up, you know it immediately. I made a comment in a sermon a few weeks ago that me and uh, Sister Donna talked about it afterwards, right? That whenever they study a counterfeit, how to identify counterfeit money, they don't study fakes, they study the real thing, right? And whenever they, you learn the real thing and you in, intimately know it, just as soon as you encounter a fake, you know it. Instantly, it doesn't feel right, it don't look right, it don't sound right, you know it ain't right, it don't look right. You're able to spot that counterfeit because you know the real thing so well. Here in the Bible is the only place that you can have the assurance of a genuine encounter with the only true and living God. So then that brings me to the question, right? I just answered, what are we seeking? We're seeking God. Where do we seek Him? We're seeking Him in His Word. How do we seek him? Study his, the word used here is testimonies. His scriptures, his word. Spend time in it. We encounter him, we seek him by studying his word. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Study to show thyself approved unto God a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Pray the word. Speak the word. Memorize the word. Meditate on the word. Devour. That's the word I was looking for a minute ago. Devour the word. Stay in the word. So then maybe the next logical question is, who is commanded to study the word of God? Well, the answer is simple. Those that seek God with their whole heart, that's who. Right? If you're going to seek God with your whole heart, that's how you do it. It does not say that the preacher alone does this, right? It's the preacher that seeks God with his whole heart. It's the preacher only that studies, and then all of you just come and get some of the leftovers, right? Some of the crumbs that fall from the table. That's not what it says. It does not say that the preacher and the Sunday school teacher or the preacher, Sunday school teacher, and the deacons alone, they're the only ones, and you just come and get some of the crumbs that fall from their table. No! All of us are commanded to seek God with our whole heart. All of us are commanded to devour the Word of God, to pour through it, to seek the face of God in His Word. All of us. So the question you might be asking is, what do I need? What do I need to study His Word? How, how do I go about this? Well, I'll, I'll tell you right up front, a concordance in the dictionary sure is handy, right? It sure is helpful uh, whenever you're studying the Bible. But the only things that you need is a Bible and the Holy Spirit of God. That's what you need. That's what you must have. The Holy Spirit is who teaches you. He will teach you if you ask Him. Why in the world would you open up the Word of God and begin to to dive into it without first asking the author himself to come along and to guide you and to teach you? The Holy Spirit is who teaches you. He will teach you if you ask Him and then are diligent to read and to study. Not half-heartedly, 
but wholeheartedly. That's where most people fail. They're not completely committed. It shows, right? It, it shows up when they don't hang in there studying the Bible. Remember, the whole heart means total commitment, complete devotion, 100% sold out. And if we're going to have this total commitment, this complete devotion to seek God and to keep what we learn from our seeking, if we will do that, we will truly be a blessed people. If you will do that, you will truly be a blessed people, a blessed person. You will have a spiritual happiness and joy that will carry you through no matter what hard times, what sorrows, what grief, or what pain you may encounter in this life or you may go through. It will carry you through all of those things. But if we don't stick with it, if we quit, if we read but then we just, you know, we let it go, then we're not seeking God with our whole heart. And we are not blessed. Let me turn this on you. Then you are not seeking God with your whole heart. You are not blessed. And you are miserable because you're missing what God has for you. Verse 3 here says, They also do no iniquity. They walk in his ways. Those that seek God with their whole heart, they don't live lives of sin. Right? They don't live sinful lives. They live blessed lives. Do you see and recognize the difference between a blessed life and a sinful life? Those are sold out. Those are wholly committed. They lived blessed lives. So that's my question to you this morning. Which life do you live? Which life do you live? Is it blessed? Or is it miserable? Is it a life with God? Or is it a life in sin? Totally, 100% your choice. You realize that? It's all on you. It's up to you. God's laid them both out there. He give everything so that both of them are available to you. All you have to do is choose. Which is it going to be? Will you stand to your feet? I want to open the altar and I want to give you a chance to come this morning. Spirit of God dealing with you, would you come this morning? If you've got a need, if you've got a heavy burden, would you come this morning? Whatever it is, don't miss this opportunity. Right? Maybe you realize for the first time that you're not where you ought to be with God. That you're lost and that you're undone. Then I'm begging you, don't leave here like that. Would you come this morning? Whatever the need is. Maybe there's somebody on your heart. Whatever it is, would you come?